Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And this is the Scene From Above podcast, bringing you news and discussion about Earth observation. Follow us on Twitter using at EOSceneFrom or the hashtag SceneFromAbove. This episode is another news episode. Okay, Unseen Heroes of Earth Observation. I think this is probably going to be the last time for a while we do this. This month, I've had a few good ones. So first up is Finding the Tweet. Harold Dan, who's like a prolific Earth Observation tweeter in himself, shouted out Luca, who we've talked about before building the semi-automatic classification plugin. It's actually at version 7.0. 10, I think, at the moment, um, uh, astonishingly. This is a plugin for QGIS. Basically, it turns QGIS into a high-level remote sensing piece of software. I think it's in the top five. It might, may even be the, the top downloaded plugin in QGIS. It's astonishingly good. And I think we've, we've talked about it a lot before. You can download data. You can pre-process it. You can do band calculations on it. You can do classification using it. It supports all sorts of different satellites. Luca, I don't know if you're an unsung hero, but you're definitely a a hero of of Earth observation. Like you say, it's an amazing piece of software in that I remember when I first installed it, it did one or two things really well, but it was just one or two things. And then over time, it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, wow, that the entire Earth observation sort of workflow can be done through it now. Yeah, I think... Hats off definitely to Luca and hats off as well to whoever originally thought up the the plugin architecture idea for QGIS that allows things like this to happen. Talking of QGIS, it's 20 years old now and it started off as a viewer for PostGIS and look how big it is today. In fact, I downloaded 3.22, I think it is, the, the LTR. Okay, yeah. I think it's a gig in download now. It's got really big the thing that i i know is that there's a massive community of people who will help you work out how to use it to the best of its ability and i think that's the thing that's really going for it um both for qgis and for the semi-automatic classification plugin um yeah so so uh, other people nominated this month caesar ibar again apologies if i've pronounced people's names wrong it's really unintentional um nominates jacob ruger thanks for the nomination jacob is behind the climate informatics lab i mean it's not something that i've come across much in my working but this is a, a great example of someone who makes a massive difference to somebody else in their world and the final one that i saw nate merrill nominated daryl keith he's an oceanographer a research oceanographer in the us and has written 47 publications according to ResearchGate, the link that <laughs> was uh that Nate gave me. And yeah, I mean I, I, again, amazing work with hyperspectral stuff. Looks like lots and lots of uh sort of ocean colour and, and water quality and dissolved organic matter and salinity and stuff like that. But the point is but because it is quite niche, when you've got someone who's constantly churning out high level, high quality research in this case or software or whatever it may be they're impacting people in ways that they probably never realized. Um, I'm going to add one on at the end. I was thinking about this the other day and and the people who are getting named and things. And out of my network, there's someone that I wanted to highlight, and that's Squire Jones at the JNCC, in part because her and her team do a lot of Earth observation stuff that really pushes forward how Earth observation is used within government. 
but I don't think it's necessarily recognized outside of the sphere of the, the organizations in government that are using the data. And Guar also does quite a lot on Twitter to try and promote that. But I just think that her and her team are doing a really good job in the UK at sort of trying to encourage UK government and government organizations to use Earth observation in, I guess, novel ways for the government and and sort of new applications and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I second that entirely. And it raises a sort of bigger point in, in my mind, which is you can be doing amazing work. And just because you're not on Twitter with 5,000 followers or whatever it may be, it doesn't mean that you're not making an impact to people. Um, and really, that's that's what we want to do here. We want to hi- highlight people and say and say thanks you never know when you're going to benefit from someone else's hard work okay so this is the news on the 16th of march 2022 and obviously there's one massive news story that's um, going around the world and that's the ukraine russia war I'm sure all of you listening to this will be aware of how important Earth observation and geospatial data in general are and have been, and the increased recognition and visibility on various media outlets. Obviously, the war is a horrendous thing to be happening, and both of us just want it to be over as soon as it can be over. But I think from a Earth observation perspective, we need to be understanding as to how the information that is collected can be used um, both to support the people of Ukraine, but also against them. And I think that we just need to be thoughtful when we're on social media um, to make sure that what we are amplifying is the right message to support the people of Ukraine and not do anything that could inadvertently bring harm to them. We support Ukraine and the people of Ukraine, but we need to just make sure that when we're sharing geospatial data and Earth observation data in particular, that we stop and contemplate the impact of that. Yeah, I think that's pretty well said. I just don't know what to say. No. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It's just way too upsetting. Okay, let's move on to other news that's a bit more Earth observation specific. Okay, so there's quite a few things actually, as always, <laughs> with, with Earth observation and, and, and GIS. One that I see that you've highlighted and I was going to mention as well is impact observatories and Esri's land cover map. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll come at it from a slightly different angle as, as previously. So again, it's yet another step change, uh, step forward. Very pleased to see that we're getting a more temporal aspect into this data. And you can step through the data on the Living Atlas page. Now, there may be other places to get at it. Um, I feel it's gone a bit under the radar. Yeah. And it's kind of retrospective look from the data that I've seen. So it goes from 2017 to 2021. So they've gone back through the archive and I assume that would be the Sentinel data. I think that's what it was based on Sentinel 2. And I've been to an area that I know and had a look at um, urban change and sure enough, I I can see it pop up. I'm not in love with the way that it's been presented on the Living Atlas page, if I'm honest. Um, there's a time slider 
on that page towards the bottom and it's broken down into quarters but in actual fact what the change does is it runs or updates on a yearly basis now i, I don't know if that's how accurate that is but you know even the slider starts at 01017121000 i find that a bit odd you know the t- the time aspect is really only yearly this is always tricky isn't it because i don't like being critical but i have to think how it is presented so I think there's a few different things here. The data and the data processing itself, as done by Impact Observatory, I think is amazing. I'm surprised that Esri and Planetary Computer haven't been making more of a big deal about it, because I know that Steve, who we had on the podcast from Impact Observatory, has been promoting it, and as have Impact Observatory themselves. This is quite a big deal to have that type of data set as a time series globally, I think is, is really important. The bit that we're we're sort of <laughs> pulling apart a little bit is more about how it's then presented on the Living Atlas site. But yeah, maybe we're missing something. Well, actually, as having said all of that, if you dive a bit deeper into that page, there is an ArcGIS.com app map viewer that has a better slider. Oh, okay. This one looks more useful for the types of people who'll be listening to the podcast. If you link through to Planetary Computer, then you can get your hands on the data there as well. And there's a stack implementation as well, as well as example notebooks that show you how to use the data. Oh, this this is quite cool. Yeah, I'm liking this. It is a little bit symptomatic of once it's out there, you've got to still work to find it. Um, okay, so I have a bit of news about something called Project Falcon Neuro. And I came across this and I have to say, I don't really understand what this is. And I'm going to be, I'm going to just be open about that. The title of the article I found is that Project Falcon Neuro processes first batch of Earth observation data. So I thought, oh, hello, that sounds exciting and pretty much what we're all about. However, it uses something called a neuromorphic camera, which. I'm not really sure what that is. So it describes it as it does not capture images through a shutter. Instead, fine changes to brightness levels in front of a neuromorphic camera trigger individual pixels on the camera in question, depending on the extent and size of the area that undergoes the change in brightness. This helps the camera capture a brightness map of sorts and in turn represents events or phenomena that may not be captured by conventional cameras. This is also why neuromorphic cameras are called event cameras. So that doesn't really help because I, <laughs> I think I know what that means, but I, I'm not entirely sure why that is helpful compared to a normal camera. Um, so if we, if we have anyone listening <laughs> who knows what this project is about and what, why it's different, that would be really useful oh, um, goodness. to drop us a line on Twitter and just explain it. It does say that such a a system could be used to study atmospheric events or changes that would otherwise be missed by conventional Earth observation satellite imagery. So that would be things like atmospheric sprites or certain things to do with thunderclouds and lightning. Quite a lot of atmospheric impacts are listed as a sort of potential use case. So I think it's really interesting and it's got a cool name. I mean, the neuromorphic camera is awesome. And obviously, it just goes to show that technology is changing. Watch this space. It's amazing how quickly in life you can get out of your depth, isn't it? (laughs) We rely so much now on the collective knowledge or this kind of transient or what's it called? Transactional memory. It's interesting, though. Project Falcon Neuro. Brilliant. Okay, 
this page does not exist. There's not a new website, I don't think. I saw it um, having some discussion on Twitter and LinkedIn. But basically, it's using neural networks, probably Afghan or CNN or, or whatever it is. But it's quite interesting. You, you go to the link, thiscitydoesnotexist.com, and uh, click on it, and it creates a place that just does not exist. And then you can refresh it, and another place that does not exist then exists. And that's pretty much it. But it's interesting. Why? <laughs> well, why not? I mean, you know, why climb the mountain? But it, it sort of proves that that looks pretty believable to me, the one I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm, I'm refreshing like mad and they all look believable. <laughs> if ever you want to do a family quiz and, you know, print 10 of these off and, and say, where's this? Is it? <laughs> I think the fact that it's quite Sentinel-2 thumbnail-esque, and I think it's based on Sentinel-2, helps it. But why is it important? Well, I mean, it kind of harps back to what you were saying earlier about trusted imagery and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. This stuff is fakeable. Yeah, and very believable. I mean, I haven't yet seen an image that I thought, oh, that looks a bit weird. All of it looks pretty believable. I mean, you know, the one I've just sent, I, you could you could quite easily send it to a relative and say, oh, we're moving here. You know, it's eerily correct, isn't it? But it's totally incorrect. I wonder how much this is going to get used in the future in terms of spreading disinformation and, and things like that. Because, I mean, if you can do it for cities, then I'm sure you can do it for all sorts of things. Basically, use it to change information about a region uh, in a way that's believable. But honestly... Think about it. You know, if I if I gave you one of these images, what tools have you got in your experience to say that's not right? At first glance, I think you might say, okay, that's what I expect it to look like. Well, I guess the first thing I would do is, is try and plot it somewhere on the planet and then use a background base layer as well. And if the two don't match up, then you know pretty much. That's assuming that these have a, a coordinate applied to them as well. Agreed. But the wider point is that how many times do you hear startups and, and the case for Earth observations? I mean, you've got too many pixels, too many pixels for operators to look at. You hear this time and time again. I've uttered it myself many, many times. So you just give this to the machine. How is the machine going to know that this isn't correct? You know, we could do a whole hour on this and not get very far, probably. <laughs> but, but, you know, it is a serious thing because we, we are blindly trusting that what we're putting in is yeah. correct. Interesting. Yeah. The city does not exist.com. Have a look. So my next piece of news is basically a blog post from a UK company called Pixelitics. This is quite an interesting post in that the Union of Concerned Scientists have updated their satellite database. And this post is taking that information and trying to just talk a little bit about the number of Earth observation satellites that are in orbit at the moment in, in 2022. And this is quite cool, I think. So there's some statistics that come out that there are 1,052 satellites that have the purpose of Earth observation or Earth science in this report. And of those, 426 satellites are optical satellites 170 are used for meteorology there's 90 radar imaging ones there's 41 hyperspectral or multispectral imaging satellites 12 infrared imaging ones and 10 video ones i'd be interested to know which the 10 videoing ones and whether anyone's using that video in, in any meaningful way and then also there's some information about who's controlling 
these Earth observation satellites. And so the report says that there's 219 organizations registered as operating Earth observation, but only 115 of those are operating one satellite, uh, with 41 additional organizations operating two satellites, 12, three satellites, nine, four satellites. There's a list of the number of satellites per organization. And this is quite cool to look at as well in the mm. blog post. Planet, they win, <laughs> in inverted commas, with 188 satellites. Spire have 119. Then the Chinese Ministry of National Defense have 85. Satellogica up there with 20 satellites. Yeah, and then ISI is mentioned, UMETSAT and Black Sky. So yeah, it's just a really interesting breakdown of information about where we get our data from. And there's also some information about users that are listed in the report as well. Well, it says users, but it's more about the main types of organizations. So it says 495 satellites are listed as having commercial users, and similarly, 310 as having government users. But I guess that's more about what the aim is. Really interesting. These things are always well worth a glance. Okay, cool. Interesting. I wanted to just really highlight two sort of final things. Snap 9 is coming out soon, uh, an unreleased release date, but there's a peek at what's coming in the Sentinel-1, Sentinel-2 and Sentinel-3 toolboxes, respectively. I think the thing that caught my eye was the Sentinel-2 toolbox. GDAL is being supported at version 3.2.1. I think there's probably even a more recent version of that. It's hard to sort of keep up with the versions of GDAL, if I'm honest. But there's a plugin for writing the files as uh, cogs. So um, that will hopefully be uh, another step forward. New adapters for Sentinel core uh, and the final thing I wanted to mention this time around was this nice repo, Microsoft again, leading the charge in Earth observation currently. This one I found via Robin Mark Cole is a satellite imagery labeling tool. Very nice uh, example of using a very sort of simplistic editing tool. This is a few buttons, click, 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 and then you go ahead and you just basically download the GeoJSON and you can work with that in your own software. It's really quite neat. What's the use case for this? Is this to label information to put into machine learning models or does it download a cutout of the area that you digitize? Or am I missing it completely? So if you click on something and you say, this is road, what what, what happens then? <laughs> <laughs> well, you you basically you're it's it, it's a digitizing. Ah, okay, okay. So if you don't have access to QJS, right? Got you. As ever, it's another look on the digitizing of, of data. There's no snapping to the building or or, any, or anything like that. Well, not that I'm aware of anyway. The last thing from me is the cloud native geospatial outreach day is coming. So Radiant Earth Foundation have been pushing this. And basically, it's for people who have worked with a stack or COGS or ZAR, or for anyone that's interested in it at all as well. So that's going to happen April 19th, 20th. Keep an eye on, I'm guessing, Radiant Earth Foundation. They seem to be the ones that are in charge of organizing this. And that's it for the news. You can interact with the podcast on Twitter via at EOSceneFrom and using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. I'm not even sure what I'm doing.
Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.